Hello, everyone. Before we start the show, we must once again sadly do an in-memoriam to a figure from the anime industry that has sadly passed away recently. Tatsunoko Productions recently revealed that Ipe Kure, or known by his birth name of Toyohara Yoshida, the former CEO and co-founder of Tatsunoko Productions, alongside his elder brothers Tatsu Yoshida and Kenji Yoshida, passed away earlier in July, on July 1st, at the age of 83. Curry was, of course, one of the three Yoshida brothers who founded Tatsunoko Productions, who were responsible for some of the most iconic anime series, including Gachamon, Speed Racer, Samurai Beats the Cats, and Curry himself was a character designer on several other shows, as well as a director on Speed Racer and producer on Yatchman, Samurai Pizza Cat, Stick Em on Blade, to many others. Curry was the last of his brothers to pass away, and so with his passing, now all three of the original founders of Tatsuno Productions have sadly passed away. But of course, Tatsunoko has left an indelible legacy in terms of the contributions it had as an anime studio to Japanese pop culture, to worldwide popular culture. Speed Racer, of course, was one of the first really big international hits, the first big anime hits in the U.S., and so many Tatsunoko shows over the years had such a strong international following. And as a studio, it was just very essential and influential in popularizing a lot of different kind of hero shows, mecha shows... And it is really sad to hear that one of the pioneering talents, producers who really shaped the modern anime landscape and shaped popular culture in such a big way has sadly passed away. And it is sad to know that all the original founders of Tatsunoko have now left us. But their work still lives on, their legacy still lives on, and we truly thank them for the studio they created and the works that they helped create and bring to life. And we want to dedicate a moment of our tanks and a moment of silence as we extend our condolences to the Yoshida brothers' friends and families of fans, and honor them for their memory and their contributions. This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, episode 233. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lam Ramayasha. And today, once again, we're here with another news episode. 
We are going to be wrapping up a ton of new news that came out within the past month. And, of course, July is always a big month for news in the manga and anime world. Well, not only because there are so many conventions where all the big studios and companies like to announce so much news, but there's just a lot going around in the manga world in general. So we got a lot of serialization news, a lot of licensing news, a lot of just general big anime news to talk about. And we're going to do our best to try and cover as much of it as we can in a couple hours. Oh, yeah. I mean, Lum's right. We do have a lot of news. But, you know, I'm also kind of looking forward to this being a maybe hopefully a two hour show, you know, that that would be nice. Yes, a self-imposed two hour show. Of course, with how much news we have to talk about, they normally have gone on even longer, but we're going to try our best to curate in terms of what we cover, because there's, again, there's just so much we can't possibly talk about it all in one sesh. Yeah, I mean, not to go on a weird tangent, but I feel like this year for the show has been particularly weird. Because we've really only had time to do news and Cyberpub episodes this year. We we unfortunately haven't had a whole lot of time to do a lot else, which is kind of sad. But hopefully we'll eventually get back to doing retrospective episodes, finally get out some episodes we've had in the tank. Part of the reason that some of those aren't out yet is because these episodes of the podcast in particular, because we go on so long, because we have so much to talk about, it's it takes a long time to edit some of these episodes, even with trying to give myself, the main editor of the show, let's say, you know, enough time to actually sit down and scrub through these to get them out. Even with extended deadlines and whatnot to work on these episodes, it still takes a lot of time and effort, and it just kind of gets to the point where it's like, you know... So much news comes out every month that, like, it just becomes more and more impossible to cover literally everything, as we've learned this year. We haven't been able to do that for a few months now. We always have been left with a few pages of news we haven't even got to, especially a lot of the interest anime news. There was stuff that has been in our news doc that we'd been hanging on to for a couple months before finally saying, now it's a little bit too old to even cover this at this point. It's a bit old news, but that's just how much news has been coming out recently and how much has just been accumulating. It's just been hard to keep up. Mm -hmm. So that's not me saying we're not going to try to do our best to cover whatever we can. But, you know, also, I think at some point, we just need to not worry about, you know, all the stuff we haven't covered. I think we should just kind of get to a point where it's like, we covered what we can and hopefully you guys enjoy it. I mean, look, if there's anything that, like, we don't get to that you guys really want us to talk about, if there's anything that you guys, like, really want to hear us talk about in particular, let us know. You know, let us know on Twitter. Email us. Or X. You gotta send us Zeke. I'm not, I'm not calling it X. I'm not giving Elon the time of day. <laughs> I'm not gonna do it. It's Twitter to me. That's not gonna change. Um, but point stands, if there's anything that we don't get to, but you're like, man, I really wish the Mavericks would have like talked about this. Let, let us know and we'll, we'll try to do our best to, you know, incorporate it in the next episode or so. Yep. Just let us know the deets by sending us a zit or what we should eat. <laughs> yes. So with all that rigmarole out of the way, we should just get into the news, do our best to cover what we can. And just like always, we're going to start off with some lists, you know, the usual lists we talk about, starting with the New York Times best-selling graphic books and manga list for the month of July. Uh, a few manga titles to talk about on this list here. So 
At number 15 on the list, we have Spy Family Volume 1. And then coming up at number 13 on the list, we have Goodbye, Airy. You know, something that was on the list last month, I believe it was a little higher, so it is a little lower this time. But Goodbye, Airy still ranks on the list. Really happy to see it there. I'm glad people are going out to buy that because Goodbye, Airy is really good. We did an episode on about it. Go listen to it if you haven't already. Next up, uh, number 12 on the list, right above Goodbye, Airy is Volume 1 of Demon Slayer. Demon Slayer is always doing well, like always. Uh, right above that, even, at number 11, we have Kaiju Number 8, Volume 7. Kaiju Number 8, also another series that does well. And then, I believe, ooh, okay, all the way at number 4 on the list is One Piece Volume 103. One Piece in particular, I think, has been doing very well, like charting very well on manga lists over the past few months, especially with everything going on in the anime. If you know, you know, Gear 5, it's really take it over. It's a huge time to be a One Piece fan. Yeah, we're recording this like the day after Gear 5 debuted in the anime last night in One Piece 1071. So, yeah. It's a uh, it's a hype time to be a One Piece fan. People are very excited. Actually, the Gear Five episode is a little bit polarizing. Some people have been like, "Uh, I don't know, I, I wasn't feeling the animation, or it was hard to follow." But then other people are like, "Oh no, this is like the best." And so it's like kind of interesting to see those reactions. But still, people are very enthused about One Piece. I think this is something that we've been seeing over the past year since Volume 100. Since last year, there was big pushes for One Piece, with it being its 25th anniversary, with One Piece film red, all sorts of things. I mean, the Italian chapter came out at the beginning of that year. So, I mean, One Piece has just been like as popular as ever and more popular than ever, I think, in North America. And it's great to see that be reflected in the sales. Yes, it is really, really cool. I personally thought the Gear 5 episode was pretty good. Yeah. But I also understand why people don't gel with the chaotic nature, especially with the animation. But I don't know. I, I thought it was fun. <laughs> mm -hmm. I agree. God. But I think that's that's really about it for the New York Times list. And I don't think we have too much else to say on there. So we can just move on to the June book scan list, the book scan list for June 2023. I think we'll definitely have more to talk about with this list because, you know, some some interesting stuff here to point out. But we're going to go ahead and start at the top of the list uh, with Demon Slayer Volume 1, ranking at number 2 on the list, along with Volume 2, ranking at number 10, and then Stories of Water and Flame, ranking at number 16. And uh, we can just get this out of the way. Demon Slayer is technically the series with the most volumes on this list. But once again, as it's been for the past few months on the book scan list, not one series really takes over the list. It's mostly been pretty diverse and pretty even for the past few months. And Demon Slayer just happens to have one more volume on the list compared to the other series that we're going to talk about on this list. But I don't know, Demon Slayer is interesting to me because I don't know if there's like a reason for like the sudden uptick in sales or why it's doing better than the other stuff on the list other than it just feels like this month in particular a lot of people decided to get into Demon Slayer. Yeah, I mean, the latest season of the anime did conclude around the end of June. So I think that usually a trend we've seen is that when an anime season concludes, there usually starts to be another uptick of interest to people going on to check out the manga to continue it from there rather than wait for the next season. So I could definitely see that as a reason why we see Demon Slayer perform so well on this list. I think that it is interesting to continue to see the stories of Water and Flame perform so well. 
You know, there is a story that involves Mitsuri in that volume. Ah, right. She's okay. a part of Kyojiro's story in that volume. So maybe people are interested, oh, I want to see more Mitsuri backstory uh, after really liking her in the anime. So they could go to that volume for that a little bit. But... You know, that's just speculation. I think that also just works as a standalone volume of stories you can't get from the anime that people who, having just finished the anime, are like, oh, I want want more Demon Slayer. Here's something that hasn't been animated yet. And then, of course, people who are like into the anime but are like, oh, I'm so hyped on Demon Slayer. I just gotta have more just buying the manga. But Demon Slayer is also just an evergreen title at this point that's always attracting attention and new readers because it's just a very big popular title that's become very recognizable. Oh, for sure, for sure. Next up on the list, we have Dragon Ball Super Volume 18, making it number three on the list. And that's the only volume of Super on the list there. I think this is the newest volume. It is. This volume in particular goes into some more of the Bardock backstory that's a part of the Granola arc. And it's been interesting that I feel like ever since the Granola arc started, we've seen Dragon Ball Super volumes, new Dragon Ball Super volumes be on this list and be pretty high up on this list pretty consistently. That wasn't really the case before. Like, we would see Super Volumes, like, kind of pop in and out, but it really has been with the start of the Granola arc in the published volumes that we've really been seeing this trend. And so I find that pretty interesting. Of course, I think the publication of the Granola arc also coincided with when Superhero was coming out last year, and I think that Superhero may have encouraged another resurgence of interest in folks in Dragon Ball. But regardless... It's just been interesting to see, and I can definitely see, again, why this volume in particular would perform so well, because it does delve into a lot of Bardock backstory, which was a pretty... Well, some people have mixed feelings about it, but I thought it was a pretty good part of the arc. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I definitely remember hearing mixed things about that. One day, I will read the Dragon Ball Super manga. One day. Mm-hmm. Or maybe one day it'll finally be animated, these arcs Toyotaras from doing... Hey, a Tuper, it's coming. It's coming, guys, any day now. Can you believe it's been over five years since the anime ended? Yeah, I know. I remember, again, another tangent, but I, re- I really remember when, like, Super was first announced and, like, how excited everybody was and how, like, even big outlets like, what was it, like, E! Entertainment or whatever, like, covering the return of Dragon Ball. It's like, oh, this feels like a really big event. And then a lot of mixed reactions and results from there. Yeah, I mean, it was a big event that, you know, in the short term had a lot of backlash, but in the long term, it did its job in, like, revitalizing interest in Dragon Ball for new generation. And, of course, the box office results in North America for Superhero and Broly definitely, you know, paid off Toei's long-term bet in terms of that, too. So it's it's been a good time for Dragon Ball in terms of popularity. But it is crazy to think that it's been 10 years since Battle of Gods started this new wave of Dragon Ball media content. God. And then in two more years, we'll be celebrating the 10th anniversary of the Dragon Ball Super TV anime, which is kind of crazy to me because it feels like that was just yesterday. Not just yesterday, but it feels still so recent. But it's like, wow, it's already been eight years and soon it'll be a decade since that show came out i really hate time i really do (laughs) next up on the list we have goodbye airy ranking at number five and like i said goodbye airy i'm really happy to see it do well i really genuinely think it deserves it because it's it's such a i really do think goodbye airy might be one of my new favorite 
manga titles from like the past year. Like it's just it's so good. There are times where like I still genuinely think about this and I just think like wow. I don't know. Like it really left an impression on me clearly. Same here. I think both Goodbye Airy and Look Back are really masterful titles and it's really cool to see them continue to sell and perform so well on these charts. And I I foresee a long, long tail future for Goodbye Airy continuing to be a bestseller. Yeah. Okay, I could see that. Oh, especially if we eventually get a movie adaptation. Yes, especially if that ever happens. I'm sure that it will just see another resurgence of this manga on the charts. I totally expect that. And I'm sure, yeah, that that's definitely going to happen in a couple of years. I totally think we're going to see it. Oh my god, yeah, it's it's going to happen. This could be a best-selling one-shot title on the level of something like Uzumaki even, or at least something close to that. Yeah, I think it will very well be like one of those evergreen titles we see pop in on the list every now and again. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have Spy Family Volume 1, ranking at number 6 on the list, with Volume 2 ranking at number 18. And Spy Family, again, another series that people are constantly getting into, you know, still a lot of love for it. I fully expect that we'll probably see at least another takeover of it once uh, once the next season comes out. To say nothing of when the movie comes out in December. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. I really want to see that movie when it comes out. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we get a theatrical release over here pretty soon after its Japanese theatrical debut. I would be shocked if we didn't. I think a good, the turnaround time for December releases, at least from Crunchyroll, has usually been like two, three months. So I would be surprised if we did not see it by March at the latest of next year. Uh, next up, we have Spider-Man Fake Red at number seven on the list. This is the, the latest Spider-Man manga that Viz picked up a little while back. It has now been released. And uh, yeah, it, it's pretty cool to see this on the list. I mean, it's Spider-Man. Who, do, who doesn't like Spider-Man, you know? <laughs> well, apparently Japan didn't like it because this manga was canceled in Japan. But hopefully, I mean, the sales clearly here have shown that the American manga reading audience is very much all for it. Oh, man. Yeah. I remember seeing people like post about this online and thinking like, oh, yeah, this this looks cool. I, I really wish we'd get it. And then we got it. And I still need to pick up my copy because I, I really want to pick this up and read this at some point. Yeah, I think it's just heartening to see that the manga has done so well in its release over here. Because when it was like canceled three years ago, the reason cited was because of like low sales in Japan. Oh, man. The additional printings of the first volume were just not doing very well. And the digital version didn't do very well. And at that time, there was no plan for an overseas release. But here we are three years later, and it's a top charting title in its debut month. So I'm glad that it's done uh, very, very well. I'm not really entirely surprised that it would do better over here than in Japan. But at the same time, I'm, I'm really glad to see it do well. Next up, we have My Hero Academia, Volume 34, ranking at number 8, with Volume 1, ranking at number 19. And once again, time and time again, we talk about this all the time. Same general pattern that we've been seeing with My Hero Academia. People constantly buying the new volumes, you know, the more hardcore fans that are very into the series are supporting those newer releases while new people are getting into the series and constantly buying Volume 1. It's a pattern that we've been seeing, and I feel like we're going to be seeing until the end of the series at the very least. Next up, we have Chainsaw Man Volume 1, ranking at number 9 on the list, with Volume 2, ranking at number 20. So there we go, Chainsaw Man. 
Again, another series that's going to continuously do well, even without an anime. But again, when season two eventually comes from MAPPA, eventually, whenever that may be, it's probably going to take over again. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think, you know, we're just going to continue to see Fujimoto be a regular on this list in terms of his series dominating and Chainsaw Man in particular. It's going to get that second resurgence once again when the anime comes back. Mm-hmm. Next up is a new title that we've never seen on the list before with Oshino Ko, Volume 1, ranking at number 11, along with Volume 2, ranking at number 14. Oshino Ko, I am not that surprised to see this on the list because this is another one of those newer titles that have hit the scene, specifically with the anime blowing up as much as it has and the manga being released by Yen Press in conjunction with that. I am not that surprised that we would eventually see this rank on the list do as well as it has. Yeah, I mean, the anime, of course, just also concluded around the end of June. So now we're getting a lot of people really get into Oshinoko and wanting to like catch up through the manga. I will be curious to see. I mean, obviously, it's doing real well right now with both volumes that are currently out topping the charts here. I would be surprised if, like, Yen might not accelerate the release schedule for this, because right now they're kind of having it at, like, a three-month delay. And I have a feeling that if this continues to be a real hot seller, they might narrow that gap a little bit, like they did with Hanako-kun. But, yeah, I definitely think this is going to be, like, one of Yen's bestsellers on the level of Hanako-kun. We're going to be seeing this title on the list very regularly, because people were really all in on Oshinoko. Heck, I have, I just got all in again on Oshinoko after like watching through the anime and being like, oh man, I really like the show. I really like the series. And then I just like started binging the manga again <laughs> to catch up. And uh, yeah, I've, I've been all in on it again. So I'm almost caught up. But yeah, it's a very good series. And it's another one of those series that I'm just glad is on the list to give some variety because it's, you know, another non-battle manga. It is a jump title technically, but, you know, it's not a shonen jump and it's also being published by Yen Press. So, you know, again, nice to have another big hit from another publisher besides Fizz. Oh, yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, this is probably going to be like, as far as everything that usually ranks on here from Yen, along with, like you said, Hanako-kun and solo leveling also to an extent, this is definitely going to join the ranks of bestsellers from Yen Press in the future, I think. Yeah, if anything, I'm just surprised a little bit that this is really our first time seeing it on the list since, you know, Volume 1 came out in January and the second came out in May. But I think it really has just been, you know, thanks to the anime that we got just this big resurgence or interest in Oshinoko that's now translating into manga sales, which I think is really what happened with Hanako-kun too. And hopefully like with Hanako-kun, even with the absence of like anime for a short period, sales will continue to be high. So in Oshinoko's case, we do know a second season is on the way. So okay. that'll also help momentum. them. Yeah, I would not be surprised if Oshinoko eventually becomes a series that we see on here at least every other month at minimum. Yeah, at minimum when new volumes come out. But I would not be surprised even more frequently than that. Next up, we have Jujutsu Kaisen Volume 1, ranking at number 12. And so far, that is the only volume of Jujutsu Kaisen on here I don't think that's going to be the case next month. Yeah, when we report on the July book scan list, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more Jujutsu Kaisen because 
talk of Jujutsu Kaisen, like interest in Jujutsu Kaisen has really, you know, ramped up thanks to the second season coming out. People have really been enjoying it, really been discussing it. People are all in on JJK again. So I think that we're going to be seeing that translate into like some boosted sales and more Jujutsu Kaisen volumes in the book scan for the next couple months as the second season continues to air. Mm -hmm. If we didn't get at least more than two volumes of JJK next month on the list showing up, I'd be I'd be shocked. Yeah. Because, man, yeah, again, I'm fully expecting it now that this next season is premiered. There's no way that it's not going to translate in sales on the next month's list. Oh, yeah. Next up, we have Comey Can't Communicate, volume 25, ranking at number 13 on the list, that being the only volume of Comey on the list. And yeah, I'm just I'm just happy to see Komi continue to do well. Yeah, again, it's nice to see another non-battle manga continue to perform so well. Komi has been like a hit since it first debuted here in English. But nonetheless, 25 volumes in, it's great to see that it has continued that momentum. Sort of tangentially related to Komi, do we think that Free Ren is going to show up on this list eventually as like another shoggy title? I would hope so when the anime comes out. Because I think the anime will definitely be a hit. And I do hope that this translates into the manga having more representation, more volumes on this list. I don't recall if we saw Freyren on this list before. I don't think we have. Yeah, but I would hope that we see it when the anime comes out. And that hopefully brings more attention to the series. I'd be shocked if it didn't happen at least once. Uh, and then last but not least, we have Volume 1 of the Deluxe Edition of Berserk from Dark Horse, ranking at number 17. Once again, another pretty much guaranteed Volume 1 that is going to show up on this list from time to time as people continue to get into Berserk. Yes, Berserk is Dark Horse's best-selling title. It is an ever-popular title. Interest in Berserk has only grown since the unfortunate passing of Kintaro Mira. That is something that has been said by Dark Horse representatives pretty much <laughs> explicitly, is that they noticed that Berserk sales have only grown since Mira's unfortunate passing. So those have remained steady ever since. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Berserk continues to be an ever-popular title. Oh yeah. And that's really about it for this list. Again, I don't think we have too much else to say other than, again, it's another list where not one title totally takes over the list like we had seen in months previous. Everything is mostly pretty equal, pretty diverse, I would say, in terms of genre, definitely not in terms of publisher. But yeah, uh, not a whole lot of surprises here other than the addition of Oshinoko making its debut on this list, which again, I think we are going to probably see more often. That's our prediction anyway. Lum, I don't know if you have any other extra thoughts before we move on. Yeah, I think that Oshinoko and Spider-Man Fake Red are the most notable additions on this list that I'm pleasantly surprised to see. Then otherwise, it just continues to be interesting to see the continued performance of Goodbye Airy as like a standalone work from Tatsuki Fujimoto continue to do so well. And continuing to just notice some trends on what titles are doing well and what titles have continued to do well for an extended period of time, like in the case of Dragon Ball super just noticing some of the continued trends there i guess with all that out of the way why don't we get into some licensing news we didn't come up with lists this time because i think we have just enough licenses to where we could probably cover them all in the show so we're basically going to cover these from publisher to publisher lum if you want to go ahead and take away these first couple uh, please feel free Yes, so 
at San Diego Comic-Con at the manga publisher's panel, Manga Explaining had planned to announce their new licenses that they have acquired and are going to publish in partnership with Fantagraphics and Udon. Some of those titles were leaked onto Twitter or now X uh, beforehand, but some remain surprised to be revealed at the panel. But to just go over what their licenses are, they have licensed Atsushi Kaneko's Search and Destroy manga. This series is a reimagining of Osama Tezuka's Doro in kind of a more like dystopic future punk type world where instead of demons, there are mercenary robots known as creatures and basically you know the violent death of one of these creatures uh, connects Doro uh, an orphan thief with a mysterious girl in a stinking animal hide that conceals deadly cybermetic implants that's right in this version of Dororo Yakimaru is a cyborg girl and how is she killing one by one the city's most twisted and powerful creatures? Why is she so angry? Well, if you've read Doro, you could probably transplant similar motivations, but just in this more cyberpunk dystopic setting. But this is a series a lot of people have been very hyped for because Atsuki Kaneko is a very beloved artist. There are only really available work in English before was Bambi and her pink gun, but she's very much known for her punk alternative manga style. And this is a series, of course, like her reimagining of Doro in like this particular aesthetic has been something that people have been really keen to see licensed and interested for a long time. This was serialized in the Tezukomi magazine for a few years from 2018 to 2020. This is like a complete street volume work at this point and hopefully unlike Bambi and her pink gun which DMP only partially published we'll get this fully published by manga explaining especially because they plan to publish the series not just in this print edition for Fantagraphics which will be available in February 2024 but also serialized a weekly on the manga explaining extra newsletter the MXX newsletter so if you are a subscriber to Manga Explaining, you can read Atsushi Kaneko's Search and Destroy a little bit early ahead of the print release next February. But this is definitely a very exciting new license. They have also announced that in partnership with Fantagraphics, Manga Explaining uh, will be licensing and publishing Akane Torakai's Wandering Cat's Cage. This is also going to be serializing in the Manga Explaining Extra Newsletter in August. And the print edition will be published in one omnibus volume in the fall of 2024. Akane Torakai is, a, of course, the creator of Sensei's Pious Lie, which is published by Kadansha, and was Deb Aoki's like, pick for Best New Adult Manga last year. And it's a very good series. This series is similar to Torakai's other works. It's like a thought-provoking exploration of dystopia, sexual freedom, societal fealty, and the description goes on to say that Torakai's intricate storytelling weaves a series of interconnected stories set in this dystopian world dominated by women, and in this society, the body of a man remains an enigma. A lone man in the slums sells his knives to women for survival, but when a runaway human trafficking victim seeks refuge with him, they unwittingly travel to unravel the true nature of their society, a near extension of male births. And as the matriarchal society grapples with preserving humanity, difficult choices regarding freedom and reproduction emerge. 
And so this series has elements of Handmaid's Tale and a gorgeous naturalistic art style. And Torakai's work challenges the notions of force spreading control within a society led by women who fiercely resist such measures. I think that even more so than Handmaid's Tale with a gender reversed Handmaid's Tale, this series reminds me a little bit of Uku, but now taking place in more of a futuristic dystopic setting and with a little bit of elements of Last Man on Earth here. So yeah, I think that this is a series to very much look forward to, especially because it has a really dream localization team of not only Jocelyn Allen coming to do the translation, but Sarah Lindsley coming out of lettering retirement to do the lettering for this series and that was something i was very excited like when i was in the room when this announcement was made and saw that sarah was doing the lettering i was like whoa sarah's back and i was like yeah so i'm very excited to see sarah return to letter to series and i think that yeah this is gonna be a really cool quality release it sounds like a really fascinating story i really like census pious fly and torikai's work so i'm really really excited for this one Another great license here from Manga Explaining Fantagraphics, but Manga Explaining has also partnered with Udon for some very exciting new releases as well. First up, another Jocelyn Allen translated series, there is going to be a veil. And this is going to be a series that is by the artist Coterie. It is going to be released in print in a 2-in-1 full color edition in 2024 by Udon. This series is about a chance encounter between a handsome soldier and a beautiful woman and their tentative love affair that smolders on snowy cobblestone streets out of the sight of those that might keep them apart. And the description promises that this is going to be a manga unlike anything else in English because it's a beautifully illustrated full-color romance manga that's told in stylish short vignettes, beautiful illustrations, and secret moments. And yeah, it's going to be a two-volume omnibus collection. It's going to be a combined, basically, the manga's original five-volume run in Japan. It sounds really beautiful. I, I'm always really interested to see full-color manga. And this sounds like it's going to be a really, really beautiful release. So very excited for this one. I'm also really excited for their other title coming with Udon. No Roses Without Torns, My Life as a Shoujo Manga Assistant. This series is by Nami Sasso. This is going to come out as a single volume in print in February of 2024. And it's basically about a manga artist just kind of recounting some stories of what it was like to be a shoujo manga artist in the 1970s. Because she was a high school assistant to Suze Miyuchi, the creator of Glass Masks, and it's a manga about making manga that really tells it like it is, with a very decidedly shoujo point of view, because it is drawn in a very classical 70s-esque shoujo art style. This was a very acclaimed manga when it came out in Japan, and was ranked as the number three best new manga in the 2021 edition of the Kono Manga Gasegoi guidebook that comes out every year. And this is one I had seen around and I'd been very excited to read. So I am very, very, very much looking forward to this one, especially because this also has another great team that's going to be on the localization with Rachel Torn going to be translating it, Kyla Aiko going to be lettering it, and Deb Aoki herself editing it. So it is going to be another like really excellent localization team on this one. So really, Manga Splating just announced four really, really fascinating 
creating new titles that they're bringing in print in partnership with Fendigraphics and Udon. And I am just really, really fascinated and looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. A lot of great stuff from Manga Splating coming out. I'm definitely really interested in that last title you mentioned. Oh, yeah. They all sound so fascinating, but Mangusplaining and their partners aren't the only publishers that have announced interesting new titles. Yes, I want to highlight a title that was picked up by Ablaze Publishing recently called Gannibal from Masaki Ninomiya. The first volume of this will be coming out this November, with the second volume coming out in February 2024 in which Daigo Agawa is a resident police officer who has been recently assigned to the remote mountain village of Kuge. He is initially warmly welcomed by the villagers, but with the suspicious death of an old woman, he gradually becomes aware of the anomaly of the village and begins to suspect that the people in this village are eating people. And so, yeah, I want to say this was a series that I had seen posted about online because I definitely recognize the cover. Like, I think I have seen this online here and there. So, yeah, when I saw that this got picked up, I was like, okay, okay. Like, I I heard about this around, and this is a series that's classified as a horror title, so I'm very, very excited when other horror stuff that isn't just Junji Ito or whatever get picked up by other publishers. So I'm definitely really excited to check this out eventually. Yeah, it is really cool to see, like, another very interesting horror trailer title get licensed. The art looks very distinctive. And yeah, this is another really interesting choice of license from Ablaze as well. So they are making some really interesting pickups. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I really can't wait to see what else they pick up. There are even more publishers to discuss, though, in terms of stuff that has been licensed recently. Seven Seas has, of course, been busy with new licenses, and they are going to be releasing quite a few in the coming year. We're going to start by talking about they have licensed Kayong's Kimi to Shir Anai Natsuni Naru. It'll come out in July 2024 in their GL Yuri imprint. This is about two women, Haru and Hee-chan, who are young women in college, buckling under the weight of adult responsibilities, you know, getting to university, job hunting, preparing for careers. They're doing what they're expected to do. That's what everyone does. But what do they really want for themselves? And so, you know, they decide to take life into their own hands, toss their resumes into sea, and move to an island together. But they soon find that island living isn't all blue skies and breezing through sunny days, but whatever the future holds, they're going to face it together. And that sounds like a sweet, very real fantasy manga about like, you know, why can't we just, you know, throw away like our adult responsibilities and the rack race and just, you know, live with our partner and just enjoy days on an island, just the two of us, you know, just enjoying each other in the sun and the scarf and all that. And of course, like, they're going to find that it isn't going to be all blue skies and whatnot. But, you know, it still sounds like very, very romantic and sweet. I mean, on its face, like getting away from it all sounds amazing sometimes (laughs) oh it absolutely does and this manga sounds amazing i'm very interested and keen to read it seven seas has also licensed nujima's mysterious disappearances they'll release it in may 2024 this is about a busty bookstore clerk named ogawa sumireko who wants to become a novelist after some writing success in her youth but strange occurrences start cropping up around the city so she teams up her flirtatious cur worker adashi no ren to look into them but ren's hiding a secret of his own so with their combined skills of occult knowledge what are they going to discover as he investigates so this sounds like a fun like mystery manga i do like the character design for ogawa i like her eyebrows very distinctive 
I kind of do too, actually. <laughs> and I like Ren. I zoom is Ren in the background. He has this classic kind of sleepy eyes face. But yeah, I, I think that this sounds like a fun premise for a mystery series. And this is also getting an anime that's coming out next year, too. So very good timing for this license. Seven Seas has also licensed Tadako Midori, Saren, and Mami Serratis. Before you discard me, I shall have my way with you. This is going to come out under the Steamship imprint in March 2024. It's about a girl named Agnes who's engaged to the crown prince, but to her dismay, he declares their engagement off. But if she's not going to return her love, Agnes decides she's going to do what is necessary to protect her family and herself and commits an unfathomable act. But surprisingly, the prince becomes fixated on her. And so will this couple get another chance at love or will their stubbornness get in the way? And since this is a steamship title, I have some speculations of what the Unfathomable Act is and the kind of directions the series may go. I mean, the title also, I feel, gives it away, but <laughs> we will see. But yeah, it seems like a interesting power fantasy type for those who are interested in, like, you know, a woman who really wants it all and gets it all in many different senses. But to move on to more BL angle, Seven Seas is going to be releasing the BL First Crush Anthology, Five Seconds Before We Fall in Love Anthology in May 2024 under their BL Boys Love imprint. And this is just an anthology of stories about best friends, co-workers, classmates. Otherwise, you know, just a montage of the moons where sparks begin to fly between two boys in love. And it's a collection of 29 short BL stories from a variety of hit manga artists, including the creators of BL Metaverses, Manly Appetites, and more. And I definitely love a lot of those creators that were just mentioned. And that sounds like a really interesting, eclectic collection of stories. And so I'm definitely keen to check this one out, too. Sounds like a really blessed collection of BL. Now, we also have from Seven Seas, the first novel volume of Yomu Mishima, Toyo's Moge, Amonda's Trapped in a Daily Sin, The World of That Atomi Game is Tough from Us. This light novel series is going to come up in April 2024 under Seven Seas' airship imprint. It is about office worker Leon reincarnating into a dating sim video game where women reign supreme and only beautiful men had seated at the table. But Leon has a secret weapon. He remembers everything from his past life. And that includes a complete playthrough of the very game he's now trapped. So in this alternate universe twist on the hilarious light novels, Leon makes different choices when he runs into the character Marie. And so what new future awaits them both? So this is a spinoff from the main Trapped in a Dating Sim series that seems to go in a different direction. And I don't know if Marie is a character from the original series or is a new character. But for fans, this might be an interesting kind of what-if alternate take on the storyline. The final new Seven Seas license to talk about is the first novel volume of Kozuzu Kabato and Fumi Takamura's True Love Fades Away When the Contract Ends that'll come out in June 2024 under the Airship imprint. And the manga adaptation by Murasaki Shido will also come out in May 2024. This is about a woman named Fiona who is born into a noble family, but she eschews a typical noble woman's life in favor of working. However, the social pressures of her status are not so easily ignored, and she learns that talks are underway to arrange a marriage for her. But, you know, unfortunately, whether she likes it or not, 
You know, she's going to be expected to quit her job, give up her independent lifestyle. So as she tries to figure out how to get out of the situation, she meets Giles, a nobleman who also wants to stay single. So, you know, together they hatch a scene to achieve their common goal of avoiding marriage by that classic manga premise trope pretending to be destined lovers. So, yeah, this is another one of those fake marriage manga that, as usually happens, you know, what starts as a fake relationship ends up becoming real, most likely. But the art is very cute. The character of Fiona seems very interesting and admirable. So I am definitely interested in checking out this novel and manga when it comes out next year, too. So a nice eclectic collection of licenses from Seven Seas that should suit the fancies of a lot of different people because they cover a gamut of different like genres and interests, I would say. Seven Seas is very good in finding that variety. Very much so. But Yen Press also made a few new license announcements last month. Not as many as they usually do, but a few of note. One being My Poison Princess is Still Cute by Shihiro Sakutake. This is about a demon princess named Rafi who married Roran, an immortal knight who safeguards humanity as part of a new peace treaty between humans and demons. But she hadn't quite suspected that he'd actually fall for her, and not only that, he's really stubborn enough to keep trying to get closer to her, despite repeatedly dying from the poison she naturally emits. So just how long will his adoration prevail, and will she end up returning those affections and crush on him too? Well, we will see, but it's another familiar setup, but it sounds cute enough. The hilarious twist of like, oh, she has these poison powers that like he literally dies from, but because he's mortal, he keeps <laughs> resurrecting and just goes back to flirt with her and cluster her all over again. That sounds like it could lead to some fun shenanigans and comedic scenarios. So this is another one from Yen Press that I'm pretty keen to check out when it comes out. And if you're a fan of the Index series, Yen Press has licensed a certain magical index NT. This takes place after bringing an end to World War III when Toma Kamijo disappears from the world and both sides of magic and science take the time to rest and regroup. And while Accelerator spends his days with Last Order and Misaka Worst, Age Haz Hamazura uses the secrecy gained in Russia as a bargaining chip that returns to Academy Stage to reform item. And it seems like peace is here last until a new group called the Freshmen arrive. Oh no, Freshman class. The incoming freshman class, the seniors better watch out. But, yeah, I mean, I recognize some of these characters in words, but I'm not super in-depth in knowledge of the Index series. But this sounds like a sequel that takes place after kind of the end of one of the major arcs. And it sounds like an interesting continuation of the story that I'm sure will intrigue longtime fans. And so, yeah, you can look forward to both that title and My Poison Princess is Still Cute coming out from Yen Press in December. Uh, but why don't we move on to some licenses from Kodansha? They licensed a few things and uh, announced, you know, I, I think some interesting stuff over at uh, San Diego Comic Con. The first two titles I'm going to mention are the new print releases that are going to be coming out in spring 2024. The first one being Fed Up with Being the Spoiled Queen's Genius Butler, I Ran Away and Built the World's Strongest Army from Rega and Sky Farm, in which Leet isn't just any butler. His mistress, 
Princess Killick demands the impossible, and he delivers it seven times before breakfast. But one day, Lee decides enough is enough, and he flees for a neighboring land where the talented rise up through the ranks instead of languishing in thankless dead-end jobs. Under a new name, he enrolls in a training and job placement program and rapidly discovers that, easy as wax on and wax off, his butlering skills make him a valuable asset. So, yeah, this sounds interesting enough. Wouldn't mind maybe checking this out. Yeah, I appreciate the Karate Kid <laughs> reference in this description. I don't know if this is in the manga itself, but Kodansha usually has a good sense of humor with their, their copy descriptions here. I was going to say, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was a little editorializing on their part, but I, I appreciate it. It works. Next up, I'm going to talk about Mermaid Prince from Kaori Ozaki. Where do you belong? On the edge of death and danger to feel life flowing through you? Can you find shelter in a space not meant for you? When new people move into your life, will there still be enough room left for you? Really asking the deep questions here. Uh, from the author of The God's Lie and The Golden Sheep, Mermaid Princess explores such complex themes in a series of short stories that highlight the beauty, wonder, pain, and loneliness that can come from feeling adrift in the world, as well as the joy that can accompany finding your own anchor amidst the seas of change. So yeah, this this sounds like a series that is probably going to be both very beautiful, but also very, very heavy when it comes to its um to the themes that it's exploring. And honestly, I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, I would expect that after Ozaki's previous work that it would deal with some like kind of heavier themes. But definitely she has a very deft way of exploring them and in writing her characters. So I am very keen to check this one out, especially as you mentioned, the artwork looks really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not exactly the same kind of style, but I, I do get Children of the Sea vibes from it a little bit. Yeah, it doesn't resemble a Garashi style, but I definitely get those vibes too in terms of premise, in terms of kind of the, the vibe of it. Mm -hmm, for sure. If I saw this in a bookstore, I'd, I'd probably pick it up. I wouldn't mind checking this out eventually. And uh, that's really about it for their print titles. Uh, we're going to move on to their digital licenses, some of which, by the time you're listening to this, are already available, such as The World is Dancing from Kazuto Mihara in which, born into a life of acting and dance with a traveling theater troupe in 14th century Japan, 12-year-old Oniyasha has one problem. He doesn't know what the point of any of it is. Why must I step with the left foot here instead of the right? Why is one performance good and another bad? Why do people dance at all? It all seems perfectly arbitrary, until a chance encounter in a run-down shack sets him down a path to revolutionizing the art form and influencing much of Japanese culture to come, a fictionalized account of the early life of Zeami Motokiyo, or Oniyasha, the founder of modern no theater, the world's oldest surviving theater art. This coming-of-age artist's journey vividly brings to life a man far ahead of his time during one of Japan's most culturally and socially vibrant eras. Yeah, this, this sounds like the kind of thing I could really get into. I'm really into, like, these sort of period pieces in particular, especially one that's also like a performing arts manga. Like, I really like the sound of that combination. I, I definitely want to check this out eventually. Same. This is one that I heard, like, much talk and excitement when this license was announced. So I am definitely eager to check this one out, too. Next one is another series I would really like to check out as well called Isak from Shinji Makari and Double S, literally written out as Double S, which is great. And uh, I'm pretty sure this will probably be out by the time people are listening to this. But this story seems to be set in 1620, in which Europe is riven with the conflict conflagrations, couldn't say that word, that grow into the Thirty Years' War. 
Catholic and Protestant forces clash across battlefields ruled by sword and gunpowder alike, and mercenaries of every stripe ply their trade. Among them is Isak, a lone Japanese warrior bearing a matchlock of strange design and fighting in service to his sworn mission, to find and kill the man who murdered his master and fled Japan for the other side of the world. Meticulously researched and gorgeously illustrated, Isak is the next character-driven historical action epic that fans of Vinland Saga can sink their teeth into. I mean, with a comparison like that, I, I don't know how you couldn't check this out. And I don't know about you, and series probably won't be exactly the same, but I don't know, I also kind of got, like, Golden Kamui vibes from this a bit. I don't know if it's just kind of the aesthetic or the vibe. I'm sure it's probably going to be nothing like that series, but th that was, like, the other series that came to mind when I was reading the premise here. Yeah, I mean, snowy landscape, guy with a gun, yeah. sort of a period piece. Yeah, I, I totally could see that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if, if this series is possibly going to be on the level of like Vinland Saga, then I mean, you know, why wouldn't you read it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly because it's like, I mean, it's not really set in the same party period, but it is like another one of those kind of like action epics that are set in Europe. That is like probably going to be kind of about like traveling on the seas, getting involved in wars and all that. And, you know, in terms of research detail and illustration, I could totally see those comparisons to Winland Saga and, like, the amount of work Yukimura did into the research in that series as well. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, last but not least, we're going to talk about Blade Girl from Narumi Shigematsu. This will be coming out digitally on August 29th, in which one year after losing her leg, 16-year-old Rin is tired. Tired of the painful physical therapy, tired of being treated differently, and tired of her stupid, heavy, awkward, prosthetic leg. All that changes when she encounters the Blade Runners. That is a badass group name if I've ever heard one. A group of one-legged athletes who run with blades, or carbon fiber prosthetics specialized for competitive running, made by their gifted prosthetist Kazumi. The blades are light, flexible, and formidably difficult to control. Rin can barely walk with one, much less sprint, but as she tumbles to the ground again and again, she discovers many of the things that she had forgotten and finds a new goal, to compete in the Paralympics. Now, this sounds like one of the most inspiring things I've ever heard. <laughs> and, um, oh man, yeah, I'm, I'm really into the idea of this one. I think out of all the titles that Kodansha announced at their STCC panel, this is probably the one I'm like the most interested in, probably other than Isak, of course. Yeah, it's nice to see another manga about someone with a prosthetic getting back into sports and relearning that, hey, they can still like achieve their dreams, even with the loss of a limb. This is like, a, it sounds like it's going to be a good companion piece to run on your new legs, which is another series about a character who becomes a racer on his prosthetic leg. So yeah, it's nice to see another series with that kind of premise. And yeah, I really like the art for this. I really like how it sounds. So this is going to be a fun series to read, especially as a companion piece to run on your new legs. Oh yeah, for sure. I couldn't think of the name for it until you brought it up but yeah that was that was another series that came to mind when i uh when i saw this one listed so i definitely want to put this one on my list for in the future this this one sounds like it could be really really good but that's really about it for whatever kadansha's announced and lum i think we could move on to our next publisher yes so we have a new license from Drawn and Quarterly, and this is going to be an interesting book for fans of Yoshiharu Suge, but it's not a Yoshiharu Suge series. This is Maki Fujiwara's My Picture Diary. 
This is going to be released pretty soon on September 19th. My Picture Diary is by Suge's wife, Maki Fujiwara, as she documents a year in their lives through her own artwork. It's a picture diary just about the daily life of Fujiwara with her son and her husband. And, you know, she originally wasn't even planning to publish this. She just wanted to record their family's daily life while their son was small, but... Hammers were too expensive, they were poor, so decided on a picture diary format and thought that her son would just enjoy reading it when he got older. So it's drawn in a very simple, personable style, covering same years fictionalized in Suke's final masterpiece, The Man Without Talent. And Fujiwara's journal focuses on the joys of daily life amidst the stresses of child rearing, housekeeping, and managing her depressed husband. And a touching and inspiring testimony of one Japanese woman's resilience, my picture diary is an important glimpse of the enigma that is Suge. And Fujiwara's diary is unsparing because it provides a very clear, stark picture of the gender divide in their household. Suge, you know, sleeps until the end of the spectrum. That's something he never compliments on her. Her coding and dictates how their money is spent. Her picture diary doesn't even show her drawing. He's a mock artist, but Fujiwara, even in this like unsparing depiction, the portrayal of Suge is surprisingly empathetic. And so it's like an interesting, like raw look at Yoshiharu Suge as a person, you know, kind of the, the other sides of him that are maybe not reflected in his own manga. And so if you are a fan of Suge's work, interested in seeing another perspective on the life of one of the pioneers of Gekiga, then definitely this is a title that should definitely intrigue you. It certainly intrigues me as someone who's also read a lot of Suge's work and is very much interested and learning more about him from another perspective, and particularly from Fujiwara's perspective, the person who probably knew him the closest and most intimately. And of course, as with all of Suge's work, or pretty much all the Gekiga and Altamanga get translated over here, Ryan Holmberg is handling translation, so you can expect some very extensive essays uh, and cultural notes at the back of the book, which I always enjoy reading. One of my favorite parts about reading Brian Holmbook translated book. In addition to this book, John Carter also announced that it's going to be publishing a giant robot 30 years of refining Asian American pop culture book that is edited by Eric Nakamura, who was one of the editors of the giant robot by monthly magazine that ran from 1994 until 2011 before becoming a website. John and Cornelly also teased that they couldn't announce that they've licensed a very big new title for an Asian country with five letters, but added that it will announce the title soon. And obviously, Japan has five letters, but there are also many other Asian countries that have five letters, and I have a feeling that it's not a manga, but it's going to be a comic from another country, and I'm very, very curious to hear and see what that title will be. But I appreciate Drawn and Quarterly as a curator of like just really interesting, great titles from all over the globe. And they once again are coming out with another really interesting one. Next up on the docket, we have two new licenses from Titan Manga, both of which I'm actually pretty interested in. This first one I'm going to talk about is The Poetry of Ron from Yusuke Osawa. That'll be coming out on December 12th of this year, in which in this high fantasy tale, there are monsters who devour people and all their evil, and the only way to banish them is to absorb these impurities. Toru, a young bard struggling to make a name for herself, encounters one such monster hunter, a young man named Ron, and decides to travel with him to gain inspiration from his exploits. And just looking at the cover here, I mean, first off, it is a, it's a badass looking cover. Guy all dressed in black, probably leather, 
with a giant scraggly looking sword fighting a giant gnarly looking monster on top of a bunch of corpses just dyed in red. I'm sure this was probably an inspiration, but th this feels very Berserk-esque to me. <laughs> yeah, it feels very Berserk, and the guy's outfit gives me very Kenshiro, Fist of North Star vibes. Yeah. But yeah, it's cool to see another manga from Yusuke Asawa coming out. We just talked about Spider-Man Fake Red. That's true. And that found like a lot of good success. So I'm hoping that this does well for Titan and this does well in general. You know, I would like to see even more of uh, Asawa's work uh, find a lot of popularity over here. Oh, yeah, for sure. Just based on the cover for this alone, I would buy this. This looks amazingly badass. I love this. The next title I'm interested in for a couple of reasons, but we'll get into those, is Tengen Hero Wars from Yasu Hiromoto and Kubaru Sakanoichi. That'll be coming out on January 16th, in which after receiving a mysterious invitation to come play in heaven, Oda Nobunaga and his sister are transported to a mysterious new world where the mightiest warriors from history will meet to do battle. Here the pair will meet legendary figures such as Napoleon, Julius Caesar, Zhu Liang, and plenty of others to see who will be crowned the greatest of all time. So, when I first read the premise for this series, I immediately thought, man, this sounds a lot like Record of Ragnarok. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was doing a bit of research, because, um, and I, I missed in the article that this came out in 2021, so I was looking up, like, oh, which of these came first? And obviously, Record of Ragnarok came out first in uh, 2017, I believe. But apparently, both Record of Ragnarok and Tengen run in the same magazine, and are actually running concurrently. Like, they both run in monthly comic Xenon. So, I mean, I, I don't want to sit here and be like, oh, this is clearly plagiarism, because I don't think that's the case. But I, I think it's probably a case where it's like, Record of Ragnarok probably does pretty well for them, and is probably the most recognizable title in their magazine. I didn't get a chance to look at what else was in the magazine, so if I, if I miss something, let me know. But I'm assuming that, again, Record of Ragnarok is one of their more recognizable titles, so I wouldn't be surprised if the editors at Comic Xenon were like, this is doing well. We should have someone do another series like this. <laughs> <laughs> or something. Yeah, when in exercises, you'd be like, oh, we should have a series of similar premise, you know, just let's actually publish a copycat related series. Uh, I guess at least stylistically, the, these characters aren't like overly like designed in terms of their being muscular or oversexed or whatnot. So yeah, but in terms of premise, like, it's so similar. <laughs> I think the interesting thing, the difference is, is that rather than like necessarily being about warriors, these are like about strategists. Ah, okay. Like military leaders and strategists. I mean, they're described as like mightiest warriors in history, but like Napoleon Caesar and Zhong Lang are not like really guys you think about like on the battlefield. These are guys who like plan fights. I guess that's true. Like they're leaders. So I think that might be the difference there is that I don't know if like they are directly fighting, but I feel like this is a manga that focuses a little more on the battle of wits in the combat, more so than like just oh this one guy is like super strong and crazy has crazy power and stuff like that mm, okay yeah i didn't think about it like that but that totally makes sense i see now, now i'm interested in this even more because i actually really want to see how this plays out yeah it's just really interesting to me i again i think titan manga if we were doing our licensing highlights this episode both of these would definitely be on my list yes and hopefully the localization for these series are better than their localization of Rider kuka come on please <laughs> yeah i honestly almost forgot about that until you brought it up but yeah that's that's a very fair point we should be looking out for that hopefully their stuff has gotten better i hope so i don't know we'll see 
Assuming that their localization in general is better for the both of these, I would like to check these out. For sure. These are both sound like very interesting titles. And yeah, I think Titan is making some good pickups. I just am hoping that the localization quality improves from uh, kind of their previous missteps with certain series. Yeah, for sure. But I think we have just a couple more licenses before we move on. Yes, so it was recently announced on the official Twitter for Takabi Amamori and Imigi Muru's Make Heroin Ga Uusiguru, or Too Many Losing Heroines, that the novels are going to have an English release. Now, we don't know who the English publisher for the novel series is, but it has been kind of confirmed that the Too Many Losing Heroines light novel series has been licensed by a publisher for an English release, and I'm sure that we'll eventually get the official announcement of which publisher it is. It's probably going... I mean, there's three choices, really. There's J-Novel, Yen, or Seven Seas, so we'll see which one of the three it is. But this series is about a guy called Kasekun Nukumizu, who's like kind of in the background of his class. You know, he's not really noticeable, but he witnesses unintentionally like a popular girl in her class get turned on by her childhood friend and he ends up striking a relationship with her, like a friendship. And she tells him that like her childhood friend had promised to marry her in the past when they were like little kids. And he feels sorry for her, but you know, he also is like, well, it's a childhood promise. It doesn't really count. But he starts meeting a lot of girls at school like that who have all been turned down by the guys they like. And, you know, wouldn't you know it, as the friend that they come to to cry their their hearts out and, like, lean on his shoulder, you know, will they start catching feelings for him? Hmm. Well, we'll see. But, yeah, this is a series that we'll see probably get announced who licensed it pretty soon here. And most likely the manga as well. The manga for this by the artist Itachi started like in April 2022. So I'm sure we'll get an announcement of that getting licensed sometime soon as well. But the final licensing announcement we want to cover on this episode is that Iridori Comics has launched a Kickstarter campaign, or they're going to be launching a Kickstarter campaign, for Asake Uda, The Lost and Found Collection. This is going to be a manga print collection of, like, four of Asake Uda's short stories, including Mine-kun is Asexual, and Leaper, and Mermaid in the Bottle, and Silkscreen. All titles that we've covered on the show before and very much really liked, really enjoyed. And for the first time, these titles that have previously been released digitally are going to be released in print through this Kickstarter. In terms of rewards on the campaign, you can get a digital edition of the collection for the $20 tier, and then the physical box set of the full collection will be at the $85 tier. But, you know, the price includes free worldwide shipping. We definitely have very highly praised Isaki Uta's work on the show before. We have covered, like, these one-shots on the show before. Highly recommend them. They're great reads. And I am definitely going to be supporting this campaign because I would love to have them in print. And right now there really isn't like a stated date for when this campaign will launch. But we will definitely update you when it does come. But definitely keep an eye out for it. Mm -hmm. If it happens to also start up by the time this episode is out, we'll definitely leave a link in the show notes for where people can go support that. For sure. So now we're going to be moving on to serialization news, and there certainly was a lot of it. First, we're going to be talking about some sequels to previous long-running favorite series. First, Nisekoi. Can you believe it's been 
Jeez, seven years since Nisekoi ended? Jeez. Well, if you've been missing it, Nisekoi is getting a new epilogue chapter that's set ten years after the end of the main story. That is going to be included in the Bunko reprint of the series. So, yeah, if you want to read, like, kind of a new epilogue ending to Nisekoi, check out those Bunko editions. 14 of the Bunkos are going to be doing the manga, and then the last two are going to be doing the novels. And they are going to be basically releasing new volumes of these Bunkos, like, on the 18th of every month. So they started in June, so as of August 18th, they'll be up to the fourth volume. And I'm not necessarily sure in which volume that this new epilogue is going to be included. I assume it'll be in the final volume of the collection of the manga. So like the 14th volume of these Bunko editions. I don't know if Viz will ever plan to re-release Nisekoi through a localization adaptation of these Bunko editions. But I would hope that when this chapter comes out, we do see like an English translation of this pop up like on the Shonen Jump app or website, because I would like to read it. You know, I like Nisekoi and I would like to see this epilogue and see where it tells us about the future of the characters 10 years out from the end of the manga when they'd be in their adult lives. So I am definitely, definitely interested in that. One day I will revisit Nisekoi and we may or may not talk about it on the show. I, I've always kind of like, you know, thrown around the idea in my head, you know, over the past couple of years, like oh, maybe we should do a Nisekoi episode at some point, but that needs to be something where I'm like ready to revisit it. Cause I, I've talked about this on the show before. I was so burnt out by the end that it, I was just kind of like, I, I need a break from this. One day I'll revisit it, so that way I'm not reading it week to week anymore like I had to. But I don't know. I, like, I'm genuinely curious to see how I feel about it on a reread if I'm as harsh on it, you know? Yeah, I am definitely of the opinion that Nisekoi was at its best towards the end as opposed to like the beginning or middle. So I have like kind of a different perspective or feelings than I feel a lot of people have on Nisekoi where they were like getting kind of tired of it where I was like, no, I think the series has actually finally hit its stride in terms of the story. That's fair. But yeah, I would also be interested in revisiting Nisekoi since it's been a while. And especially because it was very early on into when we started the show that Nisekoi ended. And I remember we I actually recorded my thoughts on Nisekoi sending in one of the episodes that we cut out. And then we we're going to release separately. But then I think there was just some bug with the audio or something. So that never came out. So then it would be an opportunity to finally actually get my thoughts out on the ending of the Nisekoi and all that. So that would be a nice thing to revisit. Mm -hmm. At some point, pending. Yeah. Yeah. Another sequel that I'm very much looking forward to is the sequel to Our Dining Table by Mita Ori. The sequel series is going to be called Our Dining Table Second Helping, and it has been out as of March 22nd of this year, and it continues the story of uh, Yutaka Hozumi and the brothers of Minoru and Tane Ueda, who all share meals together. It's a very cute series. I really enjoyed the first volume of Our Dining Table, and very interested in checking out the second volume, maybe potentially even more ones after that, when it comes over here and gets localized. But it's a very, 
very cute BL series. Definitely among my favorites of kind of this genre series of like kind of found families bonding over parenting and cooking and all that stuff. So very, very cute series. Another series that I've been a longtime fan of, Full Metal Panic. The novels are getting a 25th anniversary sequel set two decades after the end of the series. That is going to basically follow the daily family life of Sosuke and Chidori, who are now grown-up adults. It's going to have some comedy, but it's not going to be like the same kind of slapstick as Fumofu. It's basically going to be a collection of short stories that, you know, will be light reading. Various captures are going to show up in the book and, you know, it could end in one volume or it could go for three volumes or it could be an epic saga that goes on for 20 volumes. So, you know, Shoji Gata is being a, a little tongue-in-cheek and humorous about that. But yeah, I mean, this kind of comes after Gato posted a survey on Twitter back in January if fans wanted to see a story with Sosuke when he's about 40 years old and 75% of people said that they did. So that inspired Gato to give the sequel idea a shot. Even before that, he had personal reservations of depicting Sosuke and Konami after the main series finale. But, you know, it's the 25th anniversary, so I guess that hang-up of his kind of went away. Because, like, you know, why not? It's a celebration. Why not show the characters 20 years in the future of the series itself? It's already 25 years old. So, yeah, I enjoyed the Full Metal Panic series. And I was very glad to see that the rest of the novels were animated in that new anime series from a few years ago. And now we have like even more stories coming and it seems like it'll be more of a slice of life direction and kind of a return to more comedy. And I very much appreciate that. So I really am looking forward to checking out more of this. And I'm sure that once enough content is published, once a full volume is published, a J novel will bring it over too. So very much looking forward to that. But speaking of a new series from established light novel authors that I really enjoy, we recently heard that uh, Satoshi Wakahara is going to be making a new light novel series called Shokurakuen Meshitopia Hoshiko Society. And this is, will be, have illustrations by Tochi, and the first one of this will come out September 8. And this series is set in a near future of 2075, where Japan has taken health and life expectancy measures to the extreme and fosters society a chunky consumption of all but the healthiest of foods and marginalizes those who eat unhealthy foods labeling them as addictors and isolating and racing them for society and the two protagonists of the manga are Nijima who is an addictor whose chef father has passed away and Mitu who is a very overly serious member of like Rin's food protection unit who are responsible for cleaning up undesirable addictors and so while evading food protection unit patrols the food find themselves trapped and alone in an abandoned buildings basement and to survive, they eat the thinkable illegal cup noodles, which wouldn't you know what Mito finds to be an exquisite and unforgettable experience. And they square to keep it their own little secret, with Mito using the handy use of investigation to quickly meet up with Nijo to eat junk food together. So very much double as a part-timer. It seems like a very fun, parodic, satirical bent on a standard premise of like kind of a dystopic kind of type future but like here it's like with periodic element oh it's like about taking health food too seriously and villainizing junk food but then like this person who is like supposed to be regulating junk food 
and like making sure people don't eat junk food herself like finds herself indulging in it and then just the relationship between these two people i think that sounds very funny very interesting and much like devil's a part-timer i hope this series gets licensed and i would definitely enjoy uh reading it when it comes out now, we mentioned earlier about that manga kind of looking about the life of a shoujo mangaka working in the 70s. And this is another manga about like working as a shoujo mangaka, but set in the present day. This is Torko Chia's Hakoniwa Monster Shoujo Mangaka Tokidoki Kamibukuro, or translated Miniature Garden Monster, or Shoujo Manga Creator, and sometimes a favorite bag. This is a series that's published in Kodansha's Morning, and it is a workplace comedy that is about a manga creator who used to work in shonen manga magazines that had tight deadlines and bad working conditions, but he quits and joins a shoujo manga magazine, Distemper not having read a shoujo manga himself, and he's expecting it to be another heaven, but, you know, he gets more than he bargained for. And this premise, first of all, it's cool to see, you know, a manga about working in shoujo manga and kind of dispelling kind of myths about, like, what working in shoujo manga is like. But also, it sounds like a far less sexist take on, like, a similar series I've heard of that's about, like, a guy who gets transferred to working as a shoujo manga editor that I've heard been talked about before, like, in a Colleen Manga Rex video. And so I immediately thought of that. I'm like, oh, this is, like, a much better, less misogynistic version of that. And especially because it's from a creator that I really like. Toriko Chia did the Tokyo Alice series, which, you know, you can read from Kodansha digitally. And yeah, I'm glad to see that they are back with a new work. And this sounds really interesting. I'm hoping this gets licensed uh, very soon as well, because I definitely am keen to read it. I always love reading manga about manga. And especially I would love to read more manga about working in shoujo manga which we don't get licensed to have enough of. I mean, there's Nisaki Kim, but that's like, that's more of a comedy manga. It's not really like a more of a kind of realistic, hey, this is like taking a look at working at manga. But I am definitely keen to check this one out. I'm also keen for My Masada's next series, which has just come out in Futabashi's manga action. It's called Hokogo Kitagobiori, or A Fine Day for Going Home After School. It's a romantic comedy that centers on a new student who, you know, is a part of the Go Home Club, which means, you know, he doesn't participate in after-school activities, but goes home, by a girl whose very nickname is Go Home. And though he refuses, uh, the girl does not seem to take no for an answer, and he's forced into going along with her. And, of course, I really liked Monster of his previous series, Hikaru in the Light. In fact, I named it as my favorite continuing manga for kids in the Best of Manga panel at SCCC this year, because I really enjoyed the series. And so I am very much looking forward to Matsuda's next work and hope that much like Occur in the Night, it gets localized and we can read it very shortly because, yeah, I really like their work, their art, the storytelling. Very, very excited for this one. Next, we have like a team up from two creators who are pulling the talents to work on a new adaptation of a very popular franchise. And that is the Promised Neverland's postcode Nemizu is working alongside Kakiguru's Mura Kawamoto on the new Blade Blade X manga that has begun serialization in Korokoro Comics as of June. Not only Kawamoto is working on this, it's also his younger brother Muno, who he has also worked with on um, High Card, is also credited as uh, coming up with the original work. And of course, the Muzu is drawing the series. 
Beyblade X is about a young boy who wants to be a professional Beyblade player, so he goes to X Tower where professional Beyblade players scatter, and the manga promises to introduce new gears and abilities in playing Beyblade, and, you know, Beyblade is one of those franchises that has been, like, kind of steadily continuing to be popular and continuing to be going on. They're still making new anime of it. It still is stuck around on Disney. One of the few remaining kids anime that I think still gets played on TV, beating the odds in that way. And yeah, I mean, this new manga adaptation has a really incredible team behind it in terms of the writing artist talent. And even though I don't think we've gotten a lot of like Beyblade manga available over here, I would love to see the series license just to see because I just know that especially art wise, you know, Demisu's art is going to be fantastic. But also writing wise, you know, from Kawamoto and Muno, seeing what they've done with Kakigurue and Highcard in terms of like kind of really interesting high stakes creative battles of wits and stuff. I would absolutely love to see what a Beyblade series written by them is like. So yeah, I am very keen to check it out. And I do hope that this one, you know, it does get licensed at some point. I would love to read it. But speaking of stuff that is related to kids manga, you know, Pokemon Horizons has been doing really well uh, in Japan. It's actually been one of the more higher rated Pokemon series in quite a while. It's been really well received. And it's going to continue to be getting new manga spinoffs, including a new shoujo manga in Shao Magazine by Rika Kize called Pokemon Detouring Volchackers. This has come out as of August 3rd, and yeah, it's just a nice comedy manga about the Voltekers. And, you know, that is coming off the heels of uh, Kaori Orito finishing her Pocket Monsters Liko's Treasure manga that just came out previously in May. But yeah, it's just cool to see more Pokemon Shoujo manga, but also, you know, more Pokemon Horizons related manga. I'm really enjoying the series and I'm hoping that these Pokemon Horizons manga get licensed, especially, again, the Shoujo manga. It's been a while since we've had regular Pokemon Shoujo manga, and I'm, I'm really glad to see that since it's been quite a while since Magical Pokemon Journey. So hoping this continues for a good while yet as I hope Horizon continues. But speaking of like spin-off manga, Bochi the Rock is getting a new spin-off manga focusing on heroic Hikari. And, you know, wouldn't you know it? The series is called Bochi the Rock spin-off Kikari Horoi's Heavy Drinking Diary. It's being published on Comic Foo's website. I think it's going to be done by the original author themselves, Aki Hamaj, and it's like going to publish new chapters bi-weekly every Sunday. And yeah, it's just about Hiroi and just about her drinking problem. And I think that's really funny. It's like about how she drowns away her anxieties with alcohol. She's definitely like one of my favorite characters in the series because of like just her wild free-spiritedness and of course her alcoholism. And this manga is just about like exploring that comedic side of her. And yeah, yeah, that sounds like really funny. And much like how Bochi the Rock itself has been licensed by Yen, I would love to see this series get published too once it starts getting collected. Speaking of other spinoffs that I am really excited for, I'm in Love with the Villainous has gotten a spinoff cooking manga called I'm in Love with the Villainous Maid's Kitchen. It debuted in the July issue of Comic Yure Hime. And I really got into I'm in Love with the Villainous in a big way recently after seeing the premiere of the anime at AX earlier in July. I definitely credit uh, Kit from the Tomo Chaco podcast for like really uh, turning me onto the series and getting me into it all on board into the IL TV train. 
And yeah, like it's such a funny, cute series. And I am definitely excited for this one because, you know, I love a good comedy cookie manga. And this looks very sweet, pretty literally, because it is a four chapter comedy cookie man that focuses on Ray and Len working hard to make sweets for Claire. So like literally, it sounds very sweet. And yeah, I'm definitely excited for more of the villainous anime when it comes out in October. I'm excited to get into more of the series through the, the manga and live novels. And I'm excited for this spinoff. And again, hope this gets licensed pretty shortly too, since it sounds like it's going to be a short miniseries. Another interesting spinoff slash sequel series that I'm interested in is an Angel Beat spinoff manga by Yuya Sasagiri called Tenshi-chan Goes on a Journey. And the original story is credited to Jun Maeda, you know, who did the original story for the series, and with character design is credited to Naga. And yeah, it's going to be serialized on Nico Nico and Comic Walker, with chapters being published by monthly on the 15th every month. And it's going to be focusing on Kanade, who is also known in school as like the Tenshi-chan, and she travels all over the country in search of a certain person. And along the way, she meets, you know, cheery and lively girl named Yuri Nakamura and Kanagawa, and she also encounters like certain people who look a lot like the SSS, the Shindai Sensen, on her journey. So will she find this certain person that she is looking for? So... This sounds like either like maybe an alternate reality or it could be like a sequel where the character is reincarnated. But, you know, I very much assume that the person that Kanade is looking for would be the reincarnation of the main protagonist of the series, Yuzuru. I'm interested in that. And, you know, it sounds like that she and Yuri will be friends in the series because Yuri's described as cheerful and lively and they seem like they'll be traveling together and she'll meet like other versions of the main characters of the series. So yeah, it's been a long time since Angel Beats, but I am definitely keen to hear more about how this spin-off sequel manga goes and definitely would be keen to you know check it out when it comes out and i definitely think the art is very cute and the way kanade is drawn is really cute so that also makes me really excited to read it speaking of things that are coming back rather than continuing i only have one to talk about but that's borto borto went on hiatus for a few months but now it's coming back towards the end of this month on august 21st with its new arc the blue vortex arc this is basically considered the second part of boruto in the same way that naruto has a part one and part two this is going to be after like a short time skip after the end of the previous arc gonna follow up on the conflict between boruto and kawaki and we'll see if like boruto will be able to get everyone to remember who he is after their memories of him got erased and the interestingly the teaser visual focuses on Sarada with like a new haircut and new jacket and stuff so Sarada might have like a even more major role towards the beginning of this arc too which I'd be very much happy to see I don't have a whole lot to say about current Boruto because I'm not really keeping up with it but uh I don't know I did one of those things where like I kind of randomly looked it up to kind of like check in on it I didn't realize the anime was almost 300 episodes in. That's yeah. that's shocking. And what's even more shocking is that I did that thing where, because I was just curious, I went in and I added up every episode of every Naruto series. So the original, Shippuden, and now Boruto. I didn't realize that, like, combined, we were over a thousand episodes into the Naruto franchise. Isn't that, isn't that fucking bonkers? 
Well, the Naruto anime started in 2002. So at that rate of like producing an average of 50 episodes a year. Yeah, I mean, definitely they got past a thousand episodes collectively. Because original Naruto is 220. Naruto Shippuden is 500. And yes, Boruto is 293. So you added that all together and you are at... 1,013. Yeah. Yeah, again... It's just one of those things where, again, I haven't really been keeping up with Naruto lately, and I was just kind of curious, and wow, I just did I just did not realize there was so much Naruto, but like I mean it makes sense, but it's it's still wild to think about. Yeah. Well, Boruto has been on hiatus, the anime, uh, since March, and then coming next month they're doing like four episodes of original Naruto to belatedly celebrate the 20th anniversary of the original Naruto anime, and then at some point Boruto is going to resume with its part two. I don't know if, like, it'll be, like, a separate series of Boruto, like, how there's a distinction between Naruto and Arjun Shippuden, or they're just gonna literally continue off of where Boruto left off, but, yeah. Hmm. It's probably gonna be called Boruto Vortex or something. Yeah, I think it will be called the Boruto 2 Blue Vortex, but, I mean, the manga is, of course, continuing, like, under the same title, but this new part is called 2 Blue Vortex, and I'm sure the anime, it might become a separate series called Boruto to Blue Vortex. Regardless, yeah, I am interested in seeing the direction Boruto goes from here because I feel like from the beginning of the Boruto manga, we kind of got the setup with Kawaki and Naruto, I mean, Boruto eventually getting into conflict with each other. But, you know, that finally has kind of come to fruition. Okay. But like now we kind of have this time skip or like this break and it leads me to wonder i mean eventually we still have to get to the part that is teasing the first chapter of borto where they're fighting on what no no i just i was just laughing because i remembered like oh there's still a thing that they teased the beginning and i'm just i just find it funny that like they haven't gotten to it yet (laughs) yeah i mean the entire series has sort of been building up to this conflict between boruto and kawaki but like yeah they haven't necessarily gotten to that scene that's flash forward to in the first chapter which is boruto and kawaki fighting on like the hokage monument god and like they're noticeably older in that flash forward. So, you know, I think that it's probably going to happen at some point in this second part of Boruto. When it'll happen, I'm not sure if it's going to be like the final fight, like the Naruto versus Sasuke type fight at the end of Naruto. But yeah, I'm going to be interested to see like where Boruto goes from here. So in terms of like new manga that are coming out for Savage Creators to talk about, Satoru Noda, we mentioned before that they were going to be continuing Supin uh, Murata, their series before Golden Kamui, their ice hockey sports series that, you know, got canceled. Now they were like going to restarting it. But apparently the series is going to be like renamed. It's going to be kind of reimagined as this new sports manga, Dog Thread. It's still, you know, a nice hockey sports manga. There's still like shared elements and iconography from Supin Murata. 
but it's going under this new name. So I think that the idea is like he wants to continue the series or he wants to redo the series, but you know, rather than like outright continue it under the old name, he's kind of giving it a fresh start under a new name, which I think might be a good move. Regardless of what it's called, I'm interested in reading both the original Run of Soup and Murata, and also I would really like to read Dogs Red whenever they eventually end up getting covered. Yeah, I hope it gets picked up. In terms of other new manga to look forward to, uh, Mapalo Street of PPPPP fame is going to be returning with a new manga soon. Not in Weekly Shonen Jump, but on Shonen Jump Plus. They are going to be debuting their next series, Tai Sekayo Maho Shoujo Subame. That'll come out in fall 2023, and I'm glad to see Apollo 3 is returning with their next series so soon. And since it is going to be a Jump Plus series, I'm very sure we'll at least get this on Manga Plus, if not licensed uh, for Viz Shonen Jump app. But yeah, I'm just excited for another series from Apollo 3. It looks like it's going to be a Magical Girl series. And knowing their art style, I expect a level of surrealism and weirdness on the concept, and I'm very much excited for that. Admittedly, I was kind of hoping that because uh, I think they were teasing this ahead of time too, like, oh, there's something new from Mapolo 3 coming out or whatever, you know, doing a countdown and everything. I was kind of hoping that maybe it was going to be a sequel to PPPPPP, but you know, I'm still up for anything new that Mapolo 3 wants to do. Off the goodwill of PPPPP alone, I'm willing to try out anything they have coming up next. So I'm, I'm looking forward to checking this out. Absolutely. That about does it for new series for now. Let's talk about some things that have ended or are ending. So speaking of Jump Plus stuff, one Jump Plus series that has ended recently has been Stan for Salvation by Osamu Kozi. That came to an end with its 18th chapter. I felt it was a bit of a sudden end, of course, but there's a cute enough ending for the series. You know, it did nothing really resolved other than, I guess, a degree of respect between the angels and Guilga as rival idols. But, you know, it was just generally a fun comedy series. I'm definitely sad it didn't get to continue on longer, but, you know, I think I really enjoyed what did come of it. A series that did have a full and satisfying run, though, was Mashal. Mashal came to an end earlier last month, and it was a pretty good ending. You know, of course, the final fight with Innocent Zero and all, you know, it was suitably, like, epic as a battle manga fight should be. But I think what I really appreciated was just the return to comedy towards the end of the fight and then the aftermath of it. That, I think, were some of the best chapters. I mean, there were some really good, like, highlight moments in terms of character arc stuff in the fight itself. But, like, I think the the comedy that ended up happening out towards the end of it, that felt right to me and that felt, like, really satisfying. And then the final chapter, I think my favorite part about it was just like they bring back like that asshole guy from the beginning, the cop guy or whatever, <laughs> who was like the whole reason like MASH decided to go enroll in the academy to begin with is like the whole thing of like, okay, I won't squeal on you that you're magicless if you enroll in the academy and become a divine visionary or whatnot and give me all the money that comes with being a divine visionary. They like brought that guy back in the final chapter to be like, uh, yeah, you know, do you remember that part of the plan about giving me the money? 
And then he, of course, like can't <laughs> out argue that <laughs> mash and just like gives in and settles for a cream puff. <laughs> that was pretty good. I like that they did address that. Hey, do you remember what the original premise of the series was? The goal? You kind of forgot about this, but <laughs> like I thought the waiter is all that was pretty funny. So yeah, I think Mashal had a pretty solid ending. I think that the battle manga aspects of Mashal, like they were good, but I think that what always shines through the most was the comedy. And so I was glad that the comedy started to really come back in full swing towards the end of the series. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I haven't caught up on Mashal myself. Again, tangential, but uh, Sakaki and I have been watching the first season of the anime, which has been pretty good. Like, it's the kind of anime that's, like, faithful enough and looks good enough to where, like, if I had friends who, like, just absolutely refuse to read manga for whatever reason, I could just point them over to the anime. I mean... This is a whole other thing. I know they said they were going to try to, like, adapt all of it, and I know another core is coming. That's already been confirmed. I feel like with how little it's been selling on home video and, like, how little people are talking about it, a part of me is really afraid that, like, it is going to go the way of the Promised Neverland where, like, they're going to skip a whole bunch of shit and they're just going to, like, end it after this core. We'll see. Maybe they're still committed, I don't know, but we'll see if it actually turns out to be a full adaptation or not. But basically, the point I'm trying to make is that watching the anime has really made me want to, like, read the rest of it eventually. So I might do that pretty soon, because, I don't know, like, watching the anime, I was just kind of like, man, I really miss this series. And I remember, like, how much I really liked it. And I'm really glad to hear that, like, because I've been hearing kind of like, basically, the thoughts I've been hearing about the ending have ranged from pretty positive to it was okay. Like, I haven't heard anybody or seen anybody say like, oh, I really hated this ending. It betrayed the entirety of this, everything that came before it. Like, no, I've, I've heard pretty okay things about it. So that makes me feel better about going back to finishing this up eventually. Yeah, I think it was a pretty fitting ending for the series. It felt right. And it felt sad. That's good. That's good. So how far in Mashal did you get? Like, how far behind? When did you fall off? Oh, that's a good question. I honestly don't remember the last chapter I read. I'm literally scrolling through the app right now. It says that I stopped around chapter 89. Oh, okay. So you got a little over halfway, but you still have about halfway to go. Yeah, I, I know I was in the middle of an arc. I honestly, at this point, I don't even remember what was happening the last time I read. So I might have to start over from that arc. But like, I remember I was still like enjoying it. Like, this is just another one of those things where I just haven't really had time to catch up on Jump lately, like, like always. But again, watching the anime does make me want to like catch up with this before the end of the year, because I, I do want to read the rest of it, because I, I was genuinely like really enjoying it like the whole time. Like, I don't think... I don't think there was ever a point, at least up to where I read, where I felt like, oh, this is kind of boring. I'm not really into this. Like, I was pretty into it the whole way through. Like, maybe some parts I liked more than others, but I thought it was pretty consistently entertaining, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I would say so. We'll see how the anime pans out. I will say that from my experience, unfortunately, like I watched the first episode with a group that wasn't into it. Oh, that's unfortunate. Uh, they weren't impressed with the animation and just the overall concept of Mashal. So I can see why it didn't necessarily catch too much attention. I do think that the anime adaptation, I feel like it's solid, but definitely it doesn't have like the most like impressive direction or animation and stuff like that so i could see like how it might not have blown people away or really 
caught fire. See, it, it's not like a Sakuga fest or whatever, but like, I'd say in terms of like the art, at least, like, I always thought it looked good in terms of the art. And like, you know, the designs look good. And I don't know, it's not like the most animated show. But like, I think the animation is at least consistent. Like, I never thought the show looked bad. Yeah. But my thing with the anime is that, you know, because when Sakaki and I were watching the first episode, you know, I was really looking forward to how they were going to handle that first confrontation between Mash and what's his name? I forget. When he like threw the uh, when he threw the magic balls at him and he just kind of like slaps him like that was like the funniest part in that first chapter, especially like his reactions with like the little tiny meme faces and stuff. Yeah, I'm really disappointed that didn't carry through in the anime. Like that was the sign that told me like, oh, they're going to take the tone of this a little more seriously than the manga does and I was a little disappointed like the the anime is not as funny as the manga in my opinion I think that's the main weakness is just the comedic timing felt really off it didn't feel as strong no the anime wants to be a much more straightforward battle manga with like a little comedy when it seemingly starts off as a gag manga that whether intentionally or not became a battle manga you know yeah, I think that the comedy has always been Mashal's biggest strength. For sure. That made it unique as a series. As it went on, it started to take itself a little more seriously. But then, like I said, I'm glad that it kind of went back to comedy towards the end. But um, yeah, I will see. Again, I think that in terms of full adaptation, Mashal would need like four cores. Probably. We'll see if it gets beyond a second. But I hope that they don't rush it. If they don't continue past the second core, I just hope that they stop after the end of, like, the tournament arc and just leave it at that. Yeah, pretty much. And unfortunately, speaking of endings, I think, unfortunately, that is where we're going to have to cut it off. Because, like we mentioned at the top of the show, we wanted to try to cover as much as we could. But we're also really trying to keep these next few episodes, if not probably the rest of the news episodes this year, to be around this length. Again, like I said at the top, like these news and cyberpubs episodes have gotten so long lately that like I just genuinely have not had time to work on anything else. And I was talking to Lum off Mike and I mentioned, hey, we should probably work on trying to get these a little shorter. So once again, we did have a lot of other news that we wanted to cover, but I think we will just have to save at least some of that for next time. Once again, if there's anything that like you really want us to talk about and you thought, man, you guys really should have gotten to that, like let us know. Like we we want to hear from you guys what you think we should talk about or like what you want to hear from us in particular if we haven't gotten to something that like you really want to hear our thoughts on like we really want to know yeah definitely let us know what you would like to hear us like cover the most in terms of like what we should prioritize in terms of like what you want to hear us to share our thoughts on to discuss like that definitely helps us out in terms of like selecting which pieces of news to prioritize because yeah it's a bit challenging to get through everything we want to in a limited time frame for sure for sure but i hope that I mean, first off, thank you guys for listening to this episode. We really appreciate it. We hope that whatever news we did get to cover this episode, we hope you enjoyed our thoughts on. We hope that we at least satisfied some of you in terms of how much we covered. I think we covered a good enough portion. Like, I'm personally satisfied with what we covered. I think we had some decent discussion on stuff like the book scan list like normal. We talked about a lot of cool licenses. I feel like it's been a while since we talked about serialization news, actually, so it was kind of refreshing to finally get at least some serialization news, so that's at least a nice change of pace from the past couple of months, I would say, but overall, 
I mean, again, listeners can let us know, but personally, I have kind of enjoyed these shorter news episodes. You know, when they don't go as long, they feel a bit more fun to record, and also, it's a lot less work for me to edit as well. But basically, we're always trying to figure out the format of these news episodes. It really changes a lot, I feel like, from month to month. We haven't really found, like, a perfect way to cover the news yet. I don't know if we ever will, but we're trying, and that's the best we can hope for. But with all that said and done, until the next episode of the podcast, we're going to let you guys know where you can find us and how you can follow the show. Starting with my good friend Lum, where can the good people find you? You can find me as at Lumramiyasha on the website formerly known as Twitter. The website that now has an X in place of where Twitter used to be. You can also find me as Lumramiyasha wherever I am, be that Animation Revelation, Annie List, or Letterboxd. I'm pretty much everywhere under that name. You can find my writing, my reviews and interviews on mongamarics.com. And you can also find on there the other podcasts I do, including Lum Squad, the Yuri's Theater Focus podcast where we discuss the wonderful and wacky world and Mukurakashi's classic sci-fi rom-com, Yuri's Theater, having a lot of fun covering the manga, the classic anime, the new anime, and have episodes banked and have episodes planned to come out and resume. So look forward to more on there. And you can find Lum Squad on Twitter or the website formerly known as Twitter at Lum underscore Squad. You can find us on YouTube by searching for our channel name in the search bar. And you can find our episodes pretty much everywhere you listen to podcasts. You'll find our feed. And we also cross-post episodes in the Modern Marriage feed and post episodes early, oftentimes much early, on the Modern Marriage Patreon. And if you like the art I make, the thumbnails I draw for our podcast, or the animations and illustrations I do in general, you can find that on my Instagram, at SidArtWorks. All right, but as for me, I'm Colty. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of my own other podcasts outside of Manga Mavericks that you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. That's my personal blog where you can click on the podcast page and basically check out a as up-to-date and as organized as possible list of basically whatever podcast projects I'm currently doing, as well as uh, you know podcasts I'm not recording anymore, but I still want to link anyway, or you know links to other guest spots that I've done for other podcasts over the 10 years that I've been podcasting as uh, as hard as it is to believe it's been that long. But once again, coltoncorner.wordpress.com, click on the podcast page and check out all my other podcasts if you so wish. But as for this show, you can find every episode at mangamerics.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash where at the $2 tier, you will have access to select episodes of the podcast whenever we have them edited. Basically, if we happen to have an episode of the podcast edited before it's supposed to go out on our main feed, we'll put it up on our Patreon at the $2 tier for patrons to listen to first before anyone else. Admittedly, we don't get the chance to do that as much as we would like, so really, if you want more reliable content, you should sign up for the $5 tier where we post a new bonus podcast at the end of every month guaranteed. Right now, when we're releasing this episode, you should be able to listen to episode three of the Manga Mavericks Book Club, where we are covering JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stardust Crusaders, Volume 3. I am covering JoJo with my good friend Grant. We're having a lot of fun talking about JoJo. Volume 3 in particular was a pretty interesting discussion, considering it was material that I was looking forward to getting to, and uh, we were a lot more mixed on it than I thought we'd be, so if you want to hear our thoughts on Stardust Crusaders in particular, and just all the JoJo, we've also covered parts 1 and 2. Again, it's been a lot of fun talking about JoJo with Grant. We're kind of doing episodes of those, alternating between uh, the book club and now the anime club, where I am covering Hajime no Ippo for the very first time with my good friend Sakaki. 
So between both of those, we're doing some pretty neat, like, read-along, watch-through stuff on the Patreon, if you are interested in that, along with whatever other bonus podcasts we want to do, kind of on the Patreon, really depends on what we have planned. We, we, we do other stuff on the Patreon, too, is basically the point I'm getting at, but, you know, we have a lot of cool stuff on the Patreon at the $5 tier in particular, so once again, patreon.com slash mavericks if you want to go check out all that cool bonus content. In general, when you sign up for our Patreon, it's really the best way for you guys to support us and everything we do on the show. Every set we make goes back to the show in some way, whether it be materials for the show, hosting online for the show, technical issues with our equipment, laptops, whatever, that kind of stuff has happened before. And it's because of patrons like you that we were able to get that stuff fixed. So we cannot stress enough when we say that it is because of your guys' patronage that we are able to do some of the cool stuff that we do. We really cannot tell you how much we appreciate it. Once again, patreon.com slash mavericks if you want to sign up. So uh, go ahead and do that. Uh, but as for everything else, you could follow us on Twitter. I'm still calling it Twitter at manga underscore Mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash mavericks where we post different excerpts of the podcast, including some exclusive content every once in a while. Once again, youtube.com slash mavericks. Please subscribe to us. Email us anything at mavericks at gmail.com. What do you think about all the news we covered in this episode? What kind of news do you want to hear us talk about in any given news episode? Once again, we really cannot stress this enough. We really want to hear what you guys want us to talk about on the show. If we have happened to not gotten to a piece of news or a type of news that like you really want to hear us talk about, we really want to know. Or if you're reading any manga that you want to tell us about or you want us to cover on the show, once again, email us at mangamavericks at gmail.com. We love getting emails from you guys. If you send us an email, we will read it on the show. We just love getting emails from you guys. But the most important thing is, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on so many different platforms at this point, but especially on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you can do this kind of thing. You know, when you leave us a rating and review, it really helps the visibility of our show. And just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys, uh, whether it be positive or negative, because we want to use that feedback to make the show as good as possible. And I think that is going to about do it for this episode. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Manga Mavericks. This has been episode 233, and we'll see you guys next time for episode 234. Bye, guys. Sayonara! Sayonara!